My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. All right, guys, and I am talking to you, the guy listening on the other end of these headphones. If you are not loving yourself, ooh, boyfriend. How can you love somebody else? I know I just kind of stole some RuPaul stuff there, but it's so interesting as we go through our journey as gay men, how we don't love ourselves from time to time, whether it's about our weight, our relationships, it's our confidence and not what we do, going for that job, whatever it may be. But what would happen and what would you start to manifest if you truly stepped into a space of self-love? Because when we love ourselves, all is well. All is coming to us and all is very, very delicious. And that's what our guest is talking about today. His name is Jerome, Jerome Braggs. And um, I'm going to just call him the self-love guru, so to speak, because he got this beautiful essence to him, number one. And I think he's about to take us on a great journey and tell his story about how suddenly, oh, self-love, this is what really gets us where we're going. So um, I'm excited to have this conversation with all you guys that are willing to be vulnerable and listen and go there with us. Welcome to the podcast, Jerome. I'm really looking forward to this, man. So you better bring it. I mean, if not, I'm going I'm to turn this thing off in a heartbeat, friend. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go you wherever you will. And I'm honored to be here. Ooh, I haven't had a man tell me he's willing to go wherever we will in a long time. So <laughs> especially a big, handsome black man. I'm like, Ooh, okay, well, now we're, go- we're already going off track here, but that's okay. <laughs> But um, there is this interesting thing, and, I, and I'm going to kind of hopefully help set this up. I did not love myself at all mm-hmm. when I was married in the closet. I mean, I was putting on a damn good front, and I was doing it in, in, in your own backyard. This boy, he's from Oklahoma City, and that's where some of this was going down for me. And I, I painted a great picture, but I didn't love myself. And part of it was the self-loathing, and then part of it was like, why can't I just come out of the closet? And it was just, oh, I was in huge turmoil. Even when I finally stepped forward and finally said, okay, here I am. And of course, then, you know, the self-loving is like, nobody's going to love me. I'm, I'm a big old boy. Nobody likes me. There was a whole journey I had to go on to really get here. And it sounds like something similar happened for you. So why don't you like walk us, walk us, strut us. I don't care. Just take us into your story, man. <laughs> well, um, the, my journey with self-love began uh, January 1st, 2004. Um, I had checked into the hospital with what I thought was the flu, but ended up instead being diagnosed with um, several life-threatening illnesses and two life-ending diseases, which were kidney failure and AIDS. And I was told on my hospital bed that um, all of that had progressed to a point where they weren't going to be able to help me anymore, really. Um, and so they they thought I had about seven days to live. And at that time, um, I, on my deathbed, I had what's called a life review, where your life flashes before your eyes and you look at how you lived your life and what all happened with it. 
And there were kind of just a few basic questions that were coming forward for me um, around my life and, and as it was, as I was looking at the end of it and it was, was I happy with the life that I had lived? Had I ever really truly been myself? Had I really felt good about myself? And um, did I feel like I had really lived my purpose? Like, did I feel like I had deposited the reason for which my soul was here on the planet to do? And as I began to review all of that, at that time, I wasn't, I was on a spiritual path at that time that I'll say. And so I fully believed that there was something for me after death. So I wasn't afraid of the fact that I was dying. But as I began to look at this life review and have this understanding that um, as I was looking at, was I happy? Was I fulfilling all that? I realized that the answer to all those questions was no for me. I wasn't happy with the life I was living. I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do with my life. I have been um, kind of doing what I was supposed to do, like make the money, get the accolades, but not like really doing following my dreams, et cetera. I wasn't, um, I hadn't really fully been myself. I wasn't expressing all the aspects of myself and fully out loud, fully, not just my sexuality, but other aspects of my personality and my identity. Um, I didn't really feel like I had been living my purpose. There were things that I felt like um, I was yearning to do in the world and express, and I wasn't in um, movement towards those things. And so I wasn't afraid to die, but came horrified of the fact that I was about to die feeling like I hadn't really lived my life. And so I made a decision that I didn't want to die like that. I didn't want to die with regrets and I didn't want to die feeling incomplete. So, <clears throat> I threw everything I knew at the time about um, manifestation and healing. Uh, I was just, I had studied law of attraction and all of that by this time. And I was also a student of self-healing, even though I wasn't had no illnesses before that, but I was really interested in healing. So I threw everything I knew about it, all the vision boards, the meditations, the visualizations, the vegan diet, the everything I knew about either one of those to that process. And um Within three months after I was left the hospital, I was in the hospital for a month. I was put on dialysis. And three months after that, I fully was healed. There was no, I was off of dialysis. My kidneys were back functioning. They could not find HIV or AIDS in my system anymore. Wow. Um, and all the other illnesses that I had had cleared up. And I was being called a miracle child. And I thought I knew everything there was to know about mm -hmm. self-healing. There she and manifestation. goes. I'm right. it. I'm it. You know, give me the crown. Yeah, give me yeah. all of that stuff. Give, give me, me my, my title. Right. Give, me my... <laughs> give, give me all of that. Um, <laughs> until I found myself back in that same hospital a year and a half later with the exact diagnosis to the T-cell count. Wow. And instead of seven days to live, this time I had 48 hours. And on my deathbed this time, instead of a life review, um, I had a question because I realized that if this was all happening for me exactly the same way to the T, this was a message. This was a message from my soul to me um, and a message that it was probably trying to get my attention to beforehand that I was trying really hard not to pay attention to. So my question was, what was, what do I need to know? Like, what are you trying to get me to know? And how do I really heal? I want to know what healing actually takes and I want to, and I want to be happy. I want to live a happy life and a very healthy life. And what does that really take? I thought I learned it before, but obviously I didn't. So 
that's when I had what's called a near-death experience where um, I my body physically died and I crossed over to the other side and I had a conversation with what I call source. It felt like me, um, a lot like me. You can call it my soul if you want, um, but it was like a higher more non-neurotic, very centered in love version of me. And it told me that the key to healing, um, to healing from anything was to fully love myself. And that I didn't know anything about that. Actually it said, it said how it said it actually was, you don't know shit about it, but you're gonna learn. And Which are usually the voices we finally listen to. It's like, right. listen up girl, you do not know shit about this. And I'm going to teach you again until you learn. So Right. So you're going to, your journey is going to be a, a path of learning about this and that you're going to be called to teach what you learn. Like what you learned about this is going to be part of your mission. It's going to be part of your, your place in the planet. You will be teaching this. And after that conversation, um, I came back into my body and I knew I had had been given the red or the blue pill moment, right? The big, this is the big spiritual wake up moment piece are you going to take the red or the blue pill and i knew one of the pills was i was going to stay the same and i was probably going to die but the other pill was i was going to have to take this journey of self-love but i was horrified because i didn't know what that was i didn't know you know i thought i knew what self-love was because i would buy a shirt that was cute when i saw it on the rack or i thought i knew what self-love was because um you know, because somebody I, looked at my booty and it's like, oh, look and said, at oh, you're cute. Taken. And I said, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Right? OK, cool. <laughs> so, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but I knew that it was more than that. I knew that this was asking me to go deeper. And there was more than that. And that I was going to be asked to really the last piece of my my near death experience was um, the last kind of conversation piece was. I was being asked to come back home to my soul, to bring my soul back home to me, is what it said. And that self-love was the way. And so I didn't know who that was going to be and what that was going to look like, but I knew I wanted that because I wanted to live and I wanted to live happy and well. And so I made a commitment to that. Um, what I didn't know was that that was going to be a multi-year journey there was going to be a lot of things that were going to come up for me. Um, I was going to have to face a lot of my traumas, a lot of, and I was going to, I was going to become a whole new person. Like the person that's sitting here today is unrecognizable to who that was then. Everything about me has changed. Everything about me is different. Um, and I, everything about me is much more delicious and much happier and healthier. Um, but that was a, it was a, a total caterpillar into a butterfly transformation journey for me uh, with self-love. And I learned what it is, what it isn't, what it takes, what it doesn't. And what I learned healed, completely healed me again and uh, completely transformed my life into something that I deeply, deeply love. Just so that's fact, how it started. <laughs> just the fact, and I'm going to call out, I mean, there's so many, so many beautiful things you just said. But I got goosebumps when you said, I'm just delicious. Because how often do we say something like that to ourselves? And I, I literally shuddered. Well, I didn't like big shudder, like, but I did. I had this, this feeling within myself. And even as I'm talking about it, I'm still feeling it. Because we don't, we don't do this with ourselves enough. Mm -hmm. We allow everything else to tell us what we're not including ourselves. 
And then we look around and then, and maybe it's because earlier today, prior to recording this, I was having a conversation with one of my students in my speaking coaching. And we had this really beautiful moment where she realized the beauty of who she was as a speaker, Mm -hmm. not because of what she'd written, none of that. I said, you know, you do have this really amazing, beautiful, calm essence, and you're going to be like such a magnet on stage. And she started crying. And I didn't say that to make her cry. Always, I, I don't know. I make a lot. I make a lot of my. I make a lot of my clients cry, and it's not on purpose. But it's because they don't see within themselves the thing that they need to see most, regardless of whether it's about being on stage or going and getting a job or whatever it is. And and what you just shared, Jerome, is really important because regardless of where we are in our journey, to see ourselves. And when you you said coming back to myself and back to my soul. I would love, like, if we could have the listeners, like, raise their hands and we could see it, see how many people have ever had that experience. Yeah, Rick, it's most of us. So when we come into this life experience, um, our families and our environments that we grow up in are our first classrooms. Yep. And we learn in these families and these in these environments, we're learning one of the major lesson we're learning is either how to embody and express the wholeness and deliciousness of the soul that we are, or how to disconnect from it and suppress it. And what happens for most of us, especially most of us who are same gender loving, who are gay or queer or trans or, or however we identify this opposite of heterosexual, what ends up happening for us a lot of times is we are made to believe that there is some aspect of who we are that is unlovable and unworthy. And that is a piece of our soul that gets disconnected because the fullness of our soul, if you look at any baby before they're really, before they get entrained or indoctrinated by the family system or the, or the cultural system or the environmental system, if you look at a baby, there is no baby that is judging its weight is there is no baby that feels bad about its body. There's no baby that feels like there's something wrong with it. Babies know they are lovable and that they deserve love as is, that they don't think that they need to perform. They don't think that they need to transform or edit or suppress an aspect of themselves. They expect just by existing that they will receive love and that they are worthy of that. Mm -hmm. So that is what our internal whole knowing already is yep. but we get disconnected from that in some ways and for the lgbtq community you usually get dis- disconnected from that in several different areas depending on what your family system was what your cultural system was what your religious system was and so so many people grow up into these adults that are disconnected from their sense of unconditional worthiness their worthiness becomes conditional i'm only okay or lovable or enough if i have this much in the bank or if my body has a six-pack or i can fit into this size dress or i'm only enough if i have this many degrees and i'm and i'm doing all of that but the truth of our being is that we are unconditioning enough and what i learned rick is that when we get disconnected from that and we just get get disconnected from our worthiness. One, 
we can't really experience true happiness because what ends up happening is we end up suppressing parts of ourselves because what happens when you believe only parts of yourself are lovable, you hide and you, or you suppress, or you put in shadow the parts that you think aren't going to be loved. Yep. And you project this piece of you or this mask of you that says this part is acceptable to people. And so I'm only going to be this in public. I'm only going to be this. But what ends up happening is that is literally disconnecting pieces of your soul from you. And that piece is not just what you need to be happy. It's also what you need to be healthy because you can't be in two pieces and be healthy. The body needs the whole essence of who you are to be inside of it, to be healthy. This is what we're not taught a lot about in school, our schoolings and our medical systems, but this is also this is also a key piece to our health, just like the food that we eat, just like the sleep that we get and the air that yep. we drink, the wholeness of your authentic self and your ability to feel worthy is directly correlated to the health of your body. Yep. And this is like what I had to learn in my journey, but this is how I learned that I was, I was starving my body for so long of what it needed to be healthy because for, since I was a kid, I heard, you know, being gay is a sin. And so I, I realized I was attracted to the same agenda when I was five. And I remember that very moment. It was in the air, even though my parents didn't say it, but in the environment that I grew up in, it was just in the energy of the air that this wasn't going to be okay. Right. And I made a decision to hide that. I also got teased a lot because I was a bigger kid. I was mm -hmm. thicker. Yep. And I was made to believe that my body wasn't attractive, that it wasn't lovable, that it wasn't desirable. So I grew up feeling how I look is not enough. And I felt a lot of shame for that. So shame bleeds the energy of love. It bleeds the energy of our soul out of our body. And that's the energy we need for happiness and health. Um, but that's it for a lot of LGBTQ people, especially that's what a lot of us struggle with because we weren't taught. We didn't grow up in environments and cultures a lot of times, most of yep. us, that said who you naturally are and how you naturally express and how you naturally look is enough and lovable and it belongs. Well, especially for gay men, then we go to the opposite extremes. Like it all becomes about the six-pack abs and the bubble butt and, and the huge cock and all these other things. Nothing wrong with any of that, okay? Nothing wrong with any of that when it's put in, I don't mean literally, put in the right place. And sometimes <laughs> literally put in the right place. It's nothing wrong with that either. But we get so hung up on this. And as you were talking, I mean, I was like, oh yeah, boyfriend, I was a thick guy. I'm still a thick guy. And I'm not talking about the junk downstairs, but we'll talk about that another time. But it's such an interesting way that we suddenly perceive ourselves. And because I was the little stocky guy and then, you know, I kind of worked through some of that. And then, you know, even when I came out, I went to the opposite extreme, you know, right after coming out um, at 36, I wasn't like, I wasn't as big as I am now, but I was a stocky guy. I went from 280 to 180. Mm -hmm. I'm six foot four and I mm -hmm. am big boned. And I'm not saying that because I'm not saying that because that's what a lot of larger structured people are. I am big boned. I mean, without, without my man boobs, I'm still a, almost a 50 inch chest. 
And that's with no pecs. I'm not talking like anything's there. I'm a big guy. So take a hundred pounds off of this frame. I did not look healthy. Like literally, I mean, of course, then of course that just fueled the fire. Like, Oh, he's sick. He's got HIV. You know, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just Let's just hand them that their, their own, you know, reasons to believe this. And great. I just put it on a silver platter form. But it took me into a really weird space of, oh, my God, I have to be this to be in this community. And then a good friend of mine said to me one day, and this was actually after I met my husband. um, He said, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. He goes, look at the guy you attracted into your life. That guy doesn't see you for who you are in this physical manifestation. He sees you for who you are. Of course, I'm like, girlfriend, I don't think so. I think he kind of likes what, and I'm like, then I saw a picture of my husband and I, and I still I have this picture that, to keep it around to remind me. And we were actually at the Getty Museum in LA when this photo was taken. I'm like, oh my God, I do not look good. I looked cute, but I did not look good because I was razor thin. All the stuff that I thought I had to be and the shame and the guilt And the expectations and everything that I was told I couldn't be, I was still letting that play out in who I was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, I kind of bounced back and got into a healthier space in my body, but I still wasn't in a healthy space in my head. And it took me a few years, even after coming out to start to get into the right space. And so anybody who says, oh, it's just about the body, I'm like, no bitch it's not because up here's got to be up in your head's got to be as good as everything else that comes into your physical mammal and i think a lot of gay men miss that piece yeah i think what we we really attraction is so much more about the energy you carry than the body than the mm-hmm. physical appearance that you have and i've yes. i've seen so at my heaviest i was 300 pounds and i remember um I can remember the different phases and at my smallest, I was 175 and I can remember, Mm -hmm. right. Very similar journey. So I can remember the different phases in between all of that. And I remember there were phases where I was much bigger than I am today. And I got Mm -hmm. way more attention and I can remember being smaller than I am today and getting much less attention. And each, the difference between each one of those things was how I felt internally. Right. Like when I when I felt like there was something missing from me or I wasn't I wasn't enough, then the level of attraction and how people saw me and how people would come to me and how they would pursue me was drastically diminished. Mm-hmm. But when I felt that I was enough, when I felt sexy, when I felt happy, whatever it was, whatever the weight was on the scale, you couldn't keep men from me. You right. couldn't keep people from coming to me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people that people wouldn't even understand people that, you know, supposedly only dated people that look like this. And I didn't match that they yep. were coming to me. And so it's this what what that taught me was one. We've been very mis, mis, misled about what attraction really is and what it takes. Um, but the other part of that is like that I want to share is like one of the things we do when we've been starved of love somehow. And that's what happens when we're made to believe that something about us is unlovable or it's not enough in our childhood. What ends up happening is we begin to starve ourselves in that similar way when we become adults and we starve others. And this is what I see in the gay community a lot. 
like this whole, there's only one right way to be attractive and lovable, right? There's only one yep. right way. And that's if you have a six pack, if you're, if you're super masculine, if you appear like this, and it's really just the projection of the wounds that we received when we were kids, because none of that is true. Like mm-hmm. none of that is true. Uh, this is one of the funniest things that I, I, I have in my experiences when I healing my wounds. So one of the things I had to really do was heal the wounds I got around my sexuality, not just that it's okay to be attracted to the same gender, but all the other stuff that I'm not attractive if I'm not this size, or I'm not attractive if I'm not completely masculine expressing. Mm-hmm. And one, the, one of the ways the universe helped me with that is it would attract to the, my friends are all opposite of this, right there. Mm-hmm. My friends are, are, some of them are hyper feminine. Some of them are, um, do not fit into the the body image that you know the muscle bodies or the thin bodies and i've been able to look at them over the years and see you know i grew up hearing that you know femininity in men was not attractive so i projected a masculine image for a, a large part of my life but my feminine friends could they got all the type of men that i wanted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were being doted upon and they were being all of that I have friends who, you know, were, were over 300 pounds and they had no problems finding love and and they had none of that. So this aspect of what we're being taught that there's parts of us that we're only loved based upon certain conditions is false. Your lovability is unconditional, but you have to feel it in order to see it. Well, you have to feel it and you have to, I mean, I'm going to say this and I, I know some people are going to go, bullshit you have to feel it so you can project it mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about projecting like put this out and it's the magnet what i'm talking about is the projecting that i'm good with me i am mm-hmm. so good with who i am and i had this moment and I, and I think i've shared this on this podcast before but i remember the first time somebody called me a bear and i got so pissed off i'm like ah i am not a bear And I was also about 50 pounds less than what I am right now. So I was around 250, 250, 260. So again, I'm a big guy, right? But we were at a a pool party and I have a furry chest. My perception of a bear is big, obese, furry. That was my, my, my look at what bears were. And I was so pissed off. Almost to the point, like I almost left the party. I'm like, I'm uh-uh, that is not who I am because because now here's the little boy showing up, right? You and I mm-hmm. both went through this. What I heard is somebody just called me fat. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. And then, girl, I'm so glad I figured this out because I'm like, I rock my bear all I can because I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm a big guy. That's kind of attractive to people. I had to get in my own head. That doesn't mean I'm like, okay, let's really like, let's just get bigger because I care about my body and everything. But now when I get called a bear, I'm like, okay, when I get called a daddy bear, oh, I even like that even more because it's like they respect me as an older male. Okay, maybe they do mean daddy bear in the other ways too. But it's so interesting when I started just embracing and loving that part of myself, the smile came on the face. I was a little more flippant. I was a little more sassy. And oh my God, what a difference my life was because I was owning who I was not what they were doing. I was only knew I was. Yeah. It's that's the, this is the other miracle piece of things to me that 
Um, I know it's how this universe works, but it's still miraculous to me every time. Mm -hmm. Whatever you embrace about yourself, you embrace and you celebrate it, you appreciate it. Let's say that you, you mm -hmm. accept it and you find value in it and you find beauty in it. Yep. It becomes, especially if it's something that you previously used to find shame about. Um, so for example, uh, you know, like you were saying, I, what you, your thing was bare. My thing was that somebody called me thick, right? And that was because thick at that time for guys was, that was not the thing that people were going right. for. Yep. But once I began to embrace that I'm thick, although I'm, I'm smaller now, but I'm still uh, have kind of a thick build, but um, once I began to embrace that, that is what people, I get the most compliments out of. Mm -hmm. Right. That is what people come they, all over the world. They just send. I get compliments almost every day. I get an inbox. I get a comment under a picture of mine or something. Yep. And it's about the pieces of my body or the thickness of my body that I used to previously feel shame about. That's what I receive the most love for today. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what you when you shine love in a place where you previously had shame that begins to be the piece that you receive the most love from. It's very, it's, it's a very um, ironic piece, but it's really magical because it, it, it helps, it helps heal you continuously because it makes you understand here you were for so long thinking this was the unlovable unwanted. And this is what people most want now. Once you want, want, once you want it for yourself, that's, that's another thing about love. Love is making something belong to you that it doesn't there's no you're not rejecting or or separating it it's making one it's everything is a part of you it's, it belongs to you so when you make the part of yourself whether it's the shape of your body or the health of your body the health status of your body or your intellect or whatever it is that your your economic status whatever it is where you are when you make that belong to you and you're not trying to run from it, you're not trying to hide it, you're not trying to cut it away from you in some type of way, life will show you that it's worthy of belonging by you receiving some type of love and appreciation and praise for that thing. No, I agree with you 100% because it's this interesting piece and this just hit me as you were saying that, Jerome, and it's kind of weird that this showed up in this podcast. So um, theater, big time theater geek, so to speak. <clears throat> I remember when I wrote my first little play and, and then I've always been in some kind of theater in some way, shape or form, even though I was in a very, very like, you know, fundamental Christian environment where that was kind of like, Ooh, we only do certain things because we can't do these kind of productions, right? But then when I got to college, it started happening more where I was like, okay, I'm really doing this more. And I loved it, but I also hated it because, oh, he must be a fag. You know, oh, he must be gay. So here I am 58 years old now. And the company that I do a majority of my coaching work with, we just recently launched a brand new program called Stagecraft. And I'm the guy doing it. And I am so fucking happy because I am doing this thing. And it's so interesting because a couple of my coworkers have sat in on a, on a couple of the sessions 
And we have this interesting thing that we do in our, in the way we communicate, where we like give these things called tacos. Like if you get a taco, that means you've done really something pretty cool. And then as a company, you know, at each quarter, they count like who got tacos for what and whether it was based on the company values. And we have three company values. And suddenly the people who sat in on my stagecraft stuff the last couple of times you know, they, they like gave me all, like all their tacos for the day. They're like, it is so amazing to see Rick. Number one, we knew he was a cool guy, but to see somebody doing the thing that's in their element. And so here you are talking about this and the little boy has been waiting all these years. And, and not that I haven't done this. I mean, hell, I'm a speaker. I get out on stage and do this, but to actually be getting to teach this, this is what I love doing. It's kind of like my podcast. I love doing these podcasts. And if somebody had told me years ago that this would be something I'd be doing, I'm like, uh-uh, no, I can't. I don't, I can't have that voice because somebody would have said, and I have gotten criticized from some of my own family. Yeah. You're just promoting your agenda. Fuck you. I'm not promoting my agenda. I'm being who I am. Mm-hmm. And this is what this is about. It's when you embrace who you fully are. When I work with my speakers and I can see one of them really struggling, I'm like, you haven't embraced that you're an expert in this. You haven't embraced that you're an authority. You haven't embraced it, that your story is important because of course they get to the point where we're like, okay, now you got to go start selling yourself and getting contracts and getting hired. Well, who's going to pay me? Uh, uh-uh. Rick does not put up with the, who's going to pay me. Mm-mm. We are not going to have that conversation, even though we do have that conversation, but it's the same thing. When you step into your, the beauty of who you are and we're not talking ego, I want to make sure everybody gets that piece. Ego is a whole different, different ball game that fucks you up really good in this. You can do amazing things because it's coming from a place of love and from the talent you were given and brought into this world to have impact with. And you own that impact. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's about um, the wholeness of you, like Mm -hmm. bringing, there's no part of you that deserves to be in the shadows or Mm -hmm. in the dark. There's no part Mm -hmm. of you that is not enough, no matter how ugly you may think it is, no matter, I remember, <clears throat> so I have a scar on my arm from the surgeries mm-hmm. I, I had. And <clears throat> from the kid, the, the little boy wounded version of me that was made to believe that his body wasn't enough, what, that, what the message was, unless my body's perfect, unless it looks great, I won't be loved. So when I had start getting scarred, now I have scars and I'm thick. Oh my God, I'm really unwantable. And it caused a lot of shame and pain. And I had to start um, working on healing that because I knew I couldn't carry that shame again and, and still be well yep. and try to be well. So I remember when I, when I went through this process of healing my shame around the scars and uh, when before I healed the before I healed the the shame, people would um, whenever they would see it, it would be this big thing like oh my god, or, or they would be grossed out about it, or there would be this big thing about seeing my scars. And so I wouldn't, I would never wear short sleeve shirts in public. Or if I did, I'd have like some type of something, some type of other sleeve up my shirt, so you wouldn't be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I decided I was going to do was I was going to face this fear head on. I was no longer going to believe that there's some, even if somebody else believed there's something wrong with me, I wasn't going to hold that belief. I wasn't going to let their external voice become my internal one. And so I was, I kept, you know, going through this thing saying all of me is lovable, no matter what it looks like, even though I can't, may not be to be able to see how right now, 
this scar has added to my beauty. It hasn't taken away from it. And what I did was, it seems like something very simple, but this is sometimes what the healing process looks like. It looks very simple from the outside, but it's momentous to you. And what I did was I would go to the gym with short sleeves on. Again, this is why I would never do this. Since I had the scar, I never, I got the scar from surgeries from my healing process, but <clears throat> never since I had those surgeries, I never wore a, a short sleeve shirt. And I would take like dance fitness classes, Zumba, all that stuff. And so there was many people in, to see. And I remember being so terrified, shaking the first time. And then nothing happened. And then the second time, nothing happened. And as I began to continue to do the work of believing, doing the, really doing the affirmations, the um, consciousness shift work, the, all the other healing work that I could do around believing that no matter what I look like, I am still lovable. And I have, this has not diminished my beauty, it has added to it. There came a point where um, all of a sudden when people noticed my scars, one, they, through this process of healing, nobody commented on my scars at all. They didn't comment at all at all. But once I got to this point where I started to feel okay in my body again and not believe that there was something about me that needed to hide and, and not hide my arm anymore, all of a sudden, Everybody who saw my scar from that point on commented on, oh my God, what was that scar about? And I was like, okay, here we go. And then they were like, oh, that's so beautiful. This is, I really liked, I really like how it makes your arm look or it's added such character to you or I love scars. These are, none of the comments I was hearing before hand when I was holding this shame about it, but when I was holding love for it, all I began to attract to myself was love for it. And ever since, this has been years ago, I haven't received one person that's seen my arm and had anything negative to say about it anytime they see it. Now, there might be somebody that would be shocked, but immediately after they're shocked, they kind of give some type of appreciation for it or some type of celebration for it. And this is, again, when you have love for an area in yourself, you begin to attract from that love, more love to you. But when you have shame in that area, that's what you attract to you. And that was, again, this, this, this me coming into my wholeness, bringing a piece of me back to me that I had been rejecting and hiding and pushing down. When I brought it, what was proven to me was that it always belonged and that there wasn't anything unlovable about it. And no matter how ugly I may have believed it was, it was still lovable. It was yeah. still worthy. I was not diminished because of having it. And for so many people, I would say even everybody who is hopefully listening to this podcast, there's some piece of yourself that's a scar that you're trying to hide from the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's interesting that this is showing up because I was watching Top Chef the other night and I love the show and Padma, I just, I love her to death. She's such a just classic beauty and everything. And, and I've always noticed the scar on her arm. And so finally I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I want to, I want to know what's behind this. And because sometimes it seems like it's not there. And then other times it is, I'm like, well, do they put makeup on it or what? And I thought, oh, well, maybe it's just one of those, like, you know, almost like a weird, like quote, you know, skin herpes thing that it comes mm -hmm. and it goes it comes and goes well i noticed this this season that i'm watching which i'm i'm behind so any of you that are top chef i'm not gonna tell you where i'm at you're like girl you are so far behind but um 
I, it's interesting because I went and I looked up and, and that scar she got when she was 14 years old, she was in a car accident. And when you read like, you know, the, the first Google response that comes up, it's, it says it was when she was 14 and a teenager. And in the past, she was really self-conscious of the scar and has always hit it. Now she has learned to love it. I don't care what your scar is. The sooner you learn to love it, the better off you're going to be. And one of my funniest <laughs> examples of this is, okay, us big, thick guys, a lot of us have stretch mark scars because we've been big and then we lose, right? This was right about the time I was starting to really like come into my own about, okay, I'm a bigger guy. I had lost a, bunch, a lot of weight. Well, I'd lost all the weight and then I'd kind of put some back on kind of went up a little bit and I'm like, okay, let's, let's find the happy medium. Right. And I was getting close to what I felt like was my comfortable, happy medium without beating the shit out of myself. And I was, I was going out with this guy and finally, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's time for the great big reveal. Right. And I'm like, Oh God, the stretch marks, oh, the stretch marks. Mm but I was also in a really good space in my head. And so we're, we're messing around. We'd been out on a nice little date and I knew we were going, I knew we, the clothes were about to come off. And I said, I just want you to know something. He goes, what? And I got really quiet. He goes, you're really, you're really hung bigger than you told me. I'm like, no, <laughs> he's like, you have like really great pecs. I'm like, no. I said, I have these beautiful, beautiful life marks that show the journey I've been on. And he just kind of looked at me. And I said, but you'll have to get me undressed to see him. Now, I have no idea, Jerome, why that's what came out of my mouth. Other than at that moment, I think there was this divine intervention that said, this is how you're going to love yourself, buddy. This is how you're going to love every one of those stretch marks. And he gets me undressed when I got him undressed, of course, like <laughs> this is not a one way street. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, let me show you. And I turned sideways and I said, do you see all these? I said, this is because of all the wounds I've carried for not loving who I am. He goes, well, I love what I see. And he goes, I, I'm not going to say I love you yet because we're not there, but I love what I see. And so can we just get, get on with this now? <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'm a cowboy, right? <laughs> and I will never forget that. You know, it just was like, okay, that was, and from then on, I'm like, this is who I am. Yeah, every once in a while I might get a little intimidated, like, okay, you know, but it's who I am. Doesn't yeah. mean I don't care, boys and guys that are listening. No, I'm always watching, like, okay, what can I do better to be a little bit better in shape and all this stuff. But I do not beat the shit out of myself these days. It's like, it does me no good to be there because if I'm beating the shit out of myself, then everybody senses that I'm beating the shit out of myself. So they can either ignore me, not like me, whatever. It's because I'm putting that energy out. And it's such an interesting thing when you discover all of this. Yeah, I love, I love that journey. One, I love it because there is something deeply medicinal that happens when mm -hmm. someone shows up and loves you for a part of yourself that you used to not. There's something deeply medicinal about that. Like when I know when I've had people who've, who kissed my scar, right? Or, um, men in my past who would touch the parts of my body that I thought were too fat or too wet. And that's the part they love the most, mm -hmm. right? 
there's deeply, there's deeply, deeply, um, it's deeply medicinal and I, we need that. Um, but we also need it from ourselves, right? And I think that because no matter how much time they do that for us, if we're not also doing that for ourselves, it's not gonna matter. Like I used to have people tell me I was attractive day in and day not night, but I didn't believe it until I believe until I did the work to believe it. And that's the, I think for, for, for gay men particularly, there is a, I think part of our life's journey here, I think if you want, I believe the soul chooses this journey, but if you don't believe it, how, whatever you wanna believe, but part of your journey, I believe as a gay man, is the journey of really embodying and owning your worthiness in a world that tells you that's not okay. And then when you do it, it's kind of like a hero's journey, if you will. Yep. Yep. It's kind of when you do it, you become a medicine for others as well as, as all of our wounds. Whenever you heal your wounds, your wounds become a medicine that you can serve for others to heal themselves from those same wounds. But there's something I see particularly with gay men, no matter who we are, where we are, there's this journey of worthiness, of like understanding that there's nothing about you that is unworthy and unlovable. And no matter who we are, I think we're all on pieces of that journey some type of way. I think I think gay has with it that aspect of it. Like, oh no, I'm done. My journey, a girl, I'm already there. Y'all are just you bitches are far behind me. So just saying. <laughs> right, right. And if y'all believe that, then you need to quit listening to this podcast right now because most of what shows up on this podcast is because there's some shit Rick's dealing with. Like, okay, we're going to go talk about this now. So yeah, but uh, no, it's beautiful. And I love that. I love what you just said about you know owning your own worthiness. It's probably one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself. Yeah. No doubt. So, all right, big, beautiful man. This has been an amazing conversation. And I love what you bring to the world. I love what you do. Uh, if somebody wanted to work with you and be a part of your world, because Rick can't coach everybody. I'm just saying, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot carry the load all myself. We got to have a lot of us doing this work, a lot of different beautiful gay men out there in the world doing this work. But if somebody wanted to learn more about you, where can they go to? What can they do? I mean, what do they have to throw at you? You know, dollar bills, $50 bills. <laughs> what will get the attention? <laughs> Well, first they can find me at JeromeBraggs.com. That is my website um, that has all of the things that I'm offering uh, currently and that I will offer in the future there. You can find nice. that. Um, I definitely take appreciation of all kinds, especially monetary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and credit cards work too. So credit cards as well. So as long as you're not putting yourself in big debt to do this, folks. Right. I mean, as I, long yeah. as you are not. As long as we, that's not loving of you to be no, that's not. to do something that puts you, you can put yourself a little bit in debt. That's okay. Like a little bit. Make sure you can afford it. That's okay. But no, I think both of us <laughs> would say. I, I actually, it's interesting that I threw that out there because I really want people to come do this work that are willing to do it. Number one, mm-hmm. and who do have they, they they're willing to make an investment. Yeah, you may not have the money, but you're willing to invest in like, okay, I'm gonna put myself out there on the risk a little bit to make it happen. And um, yeah, 
but we want invest you to in do things it. that give you a return. Yeah. Like if this is this type of work, work, right. I mean, I've been healing invest- and trans work is a great return. It's going yeah. to give you way. I remember investing thousands of dollars for a coach when I had, <laughs> oh my, I had $500 in the bank and mm-hmm. I found the money. Yes. And I, it was all I had. And I, it was so worth it for me. And this is not a commercial for, for this, no. but I'm saying like, I know the work I have done to heal myself and transform and to manifest the things that I wanted to manifest, whatever I have paid to do that work has been worth it for me. Yes. Whereas some things I've paid for some shoes or some, yep. or some clothes or some trips that I can, there are some of those things I look back on and that wasn't worth it to me, mm-hmm. but everything I've ever paid, anybody who I've ever paid to, to, to coach me or mentor me or heal me. Um, as by the way, I be- fully believe in working with coaches and mentors and healers who, yes. who work with coaches, mentors, and healers. Um, but that's, I've, I've always, it's always been a good investment on my return mm-hmm. and I've never had regrets for it. And so that's what I, when, when you brought that up, like if you're, out there and you're thinking about you know working with rick or you're thinking about working with me the thing about it is you're really working with yourself yes and this is and anytime you work with yourself to get happier to get healthier um to get more on your purpose or whatever that is that is worth the investment every time in my opinion i agree 100 percent. so thank you so much for again for being you for connecting and this conversation, and I hope whoever's listened to this today, you see the beauty of self-love is really a great starting point. Mm-hmm. It may be challenging. It may seem impossible, but trust us, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can truly do it. So thank you again, my friend, for being here and sharing yourself. And thank, thank you all you. for being listeners and go out there and give yourself some really big self-love today. You won't regret it. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.